market. The S&P stops. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we cut through the crap and tell you exactly how it is and hopefully have a little bit of fun along the way. My name's Andrew Page and joining me is Mr. Scott Phillips. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Andrew. Good fools. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us today. We are going to chew over a couple of interesting points. The first one, toughen up princess. Why we need to stop complaining about the economy. It ain't that bad. Next, the PR queen and an investment banker. How did it all go so wrong for Oliver Curtis? Guilty of conspiracy to commit insider trading. Next, two stocks you can buy today that should form the bedrock of a do-nothing share portfolio. Plus, if you can believe it, why Scott wants to pay more tax. And it's not what you think. So let's dive straight into it. Don't buy the doom and gloom. Isn't the economy in trouble? Now, this one is a little bit tricky. I I read the paper, Scott. I hear that uh, China's slowing down. Commodity prices are collapsing. Wages aren't growing. Businesses aren't investing. And yet... Not that long ago, we get a read on the economy. GDP, real GDP, is growing at a positive 3.1% over the past year. Now, let's let's take this in pieces. What the hell is GDP? It's a good question. It's the economist's favorite metric. We see it in the newspaper all the time. It stands for gross domestic product, which is an economist's fancy way of saying the value of all the stuff we make, all the stuff we buy, all the stuff we sell in the course of a given period, normally over a quarter. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a, the quickest and... and well, quick and dirty, I suppose, summary of what the economy is doing, whether it's growing or not, and by how much. Okay. But you're not buying the doom and gloom? No, I'm not buying the doom and gloom at all, Andrew. And it's a really important point. Look, every headline, every commentator, every, well, most politicians, depending on what side of politics you're on, likes to complain about how bad things are going, how poorly we're, we're off, how terrible things are. But let's take a little bit of a break. GDP at a 3.1% growth, that is the stuff we make, produce, and sell, that's about trend. A little bit less than average, but pretty close to average. I was going to say 3% didn't sound like that much. Well, it's not that much in an absolute sense. But if you compound that over a reasonable amount of time, 3% is an extraordinary amount. It'll probably okay. double the size of the economy about every 25 or 30 years, which right. is a pretty impressive thing. Think about you know last sort of 60 or 70 years of someone's life, the economy's probably doubled in size, then doubled again at least once wow. during that period. Okay. Now, not only that, we've had 25 years in Australia without a recession. The early 1990s won't be a, a vague memory for some of us. Maybe others of us who were a, a little bit older at the time can remember it a little bit better. It's been a very, very long period of very, very good results for the Australian economy. That's why we're called the lucky country, I guess. Well, in some part. Look, also, employment is, unemployment is incredibly low, 5.7%. Is it as low as it's been in the past? No, it's been as low as 4 point something. So it's higher than average, or higher than it's been, I'm sorry, but much lower than average. In fact, in the bad old days, 6% was as low as it ever got. In fact, it fluctuated between 6 and 10% normally. Wow. So to have something with a 5 in front of it is a really, really strong result. Inflation is low. Inflation is trading at one point something percent at the moment. Really, really low. In fact, so low, the RBA is worried about it. Mm. And speaking of the RBA, interest rates are the lowest they've ever been, at least since the Second World War. 70 right. years. This is the lowest rates we've ever had. Low inflation, low unemployment, low interest rates, and GDP growing at 3%, that's a pretty good set of numbers. The old Peter Costello line, a beautiful set of numbers, perhaps. Right. And yet people are still complaining. I think it's incredibly, you know, it's just bizarre to me that people are so negative about the economy when it comes to the sorts of numbers we're seeing, you know, presented at the moment. 
we're in a very, very good space despite the mood. We like to whinge though, don't we? Well, we do like to whinge. And look, I get it to some degree. I mean, there's always things can be better. Um, unfortunately, we've got a political class who like to whinge about things. And depending on who's in government, who's in opposition, oppositions make a, a welter of complaining and whinging about what's going on. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. The newspapers only sell if there's bad news. We're the good news, guys. This, the economy, of course, there's things we can improve. Of course, things could be going better. But gee, I'll tell you what, you know, given where we've been, and don't forget, we're at the end of a once in a century mining bust. Mm. We've had massive declines in commodity prices. We've right. had a really significant reduction in the amount of new mining activity done. And we've still got these numbers. Any other country would have would have killed for these numbers. In fact, if you told us at the top of the boom, this is as bad as it was going to get, you would literally have been doing cartwheels. People were expecting recessions and maybe even really deep recessions. This is a really great set of numbers. And frankly, we still live in the best country on earth. Well, better than Greece, I suppose, at least from an economic standpoint. Well, better than Greece, better than the US, better than the UK, better than Europe, better right. than effectively anywhere else in the world. There wow. are very, very few countries that have the combination that we've got of great growth, standards of living, low inflation, low unemployment. It literally is effectively a Goldilocks situation. We're better than almost the entire rest of the world. All right. So toughen up. Well, yeah, toughen up, princess. Okay. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, despite we're being in the best country on earth, though, Andrew, some people want even more. And that's not always done. More, more, more. More, more, more. You've already mentioned Oliver Curtis. Poor Oliver Curtis. It's got all the hallmarks of a classic financial scandal. A Sydney banker, a PR socialite wife, and at least $1.4 million in ill-gotten gains. It's the story of Oliver Curtis, who was convicted of conspiracy to commit insider trading. Now, Andrew, insider trading, what exactly is it? And what did Oliver Curtis do? Right, Scott. <clears throat> okay, so this is back in 2009. These two guys, their schoolmates, John Hartman, Oliver Curtis, they were basically trading on information that wasn't publicly available. So Hartman was working at, a, at an asset management firm. He knew what his firm was going to trade. Um, he, would, he would send his mate Curtis the trading intentions of that firm. And then Curtis would, would front run that. In other words, he would put trades on before the asset management firm put theirs on. In other words, easy money. And when I say easy money, I'm talking about a total of around $1.4 million in a very, very short space of time. Money that was spent on cars, holidays to Vegas. Uh, I think there was a Ducati motorcycle in there, a, a luxury Bondi beachside apartment. So pretty good if, if, if you can get it. Let's fight Curtis's corner for a second. Surely no one was hurt by this. I mean, yeah, you front ran some trades. A, got a, a victimless crime, you reckon? Well, who, who hurt? Who got hurt? Well, someone got hurt because there would have otherwise been people who could have been trading at a lower price. And the very action of on the market is whenever you do something, you're, you're preventing someone else from doing it. Um, besides that, I think it undermines the integrity of the market. You know, people want to have faith that we have an open, transparent, fair market that isn't rigged, that all people can participate in equally. And these kinds of things do act to undermine that. So to that point, what you're really telling me is the market sounds rigged, right? I mean, this guy got caught, but maybe there's plenty of other Oliver Curtis's out there who are actually getting away with this stuff. Maybe they're a bit cleverer. Maybe they're just not getting caught. Maybe ASIC and the corporate regulator has just not got enough resources to find everybody doing this. You know, you've got to look at that and say, well, hang on, should we just all give up and go home? Well, look, there's a little bit of truth in all of that. But the reality is there's been very, very few cases where of, of successful convictions with insider trading. So hang on, that means very few people got caught, doesn't it? And everyone else is getting away with look, it? Look, I'm sure it happens more than we hear about. But this is stuff that really does happen uh, on the edges. This isn't as common. Look, ASIC does a very good job um, with the resources it's got. It's, it watches closely. There's very tough penalties for, for those that, that um, you know, try and flout the law. But, you know, we've got to remember the market isn't a zero-sum game. Um, it's not as though by them doing this, 
or you know insiders out there doing this that no one else can make any money. It's not true. Um, I think the real danger when when you take a very cynical view towards the market is that you become so cynical you avoid investing in the market at all. The best asset class, the asset class that has has seen a twenty eight fold increase in your wealth over the last thirty years. That's ten grand, Scott, into about two hundred and eighty grand. Or put another way, you'd have a million bucks if you invested uh, forty thousand dollars thirty years ago, and that's that is phenomenal. So even if you assume that this stuff goes on all the time. That's been the returns historically, and I think it's a very sensible approach to think on average and over the long term, those kinds of returns will persist well into the future. You make a decent case, and I guess the opportunity too is to uh, not uh, possibly see the inside of a jail cell, which is also a pretty uh, pretty good reason to, to stay on the right side of the law when there's that much money to be made regardless, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Look, enough about poor Oliver Curtis, though. He's going to be uh, uh, eating a fair bit of uh, bread and water for the next little while. But uh, how can we make some serious money without flouting, without flaunting the law, uh, Scott, um, without running the risk of seeing the inside of a jail cell? It's a good question. Well, we're not here at the Triple M Studios, Andrew. Our day jobs are to help our members build significant, lasting wealth, right? Mm-hmm. And we reckon the best way to do that is to buy shares. We, we, this yep. is the game we're in. Yep. We're in it, A, because we think it's the best investment opportunity that exists, um, but also because we think there's plenty of opportunity to go and find those great companies trading at pretty good prices. Now, building a market-beating portfolio, look, I'm already starting to talk about some jargon, right? I've got market-beating, I've got portfolio in there. Let's mm-hmm. break it right down. Okay. Yeah, sometimes you can think about which shares you should buy, how much of each, how you should diversify, a whole lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that is worth getting your teeth into. And for those for those listeners who, who care, there's a lot more they can do in terms of those areas. Yep. But we don't all have the time and frankly, don't all have the interest. You and I spend plenty of time looking at balance sheets and, and profit loss statements and all that kind of fun stuff. But most, of our, but most of our members aren't going to want to do that. Um, you know, whether they're going through their days now, they think the last thing I want to do is do that. So we've got a, a solution. Oh, this sounds a little bit too good to be true, doesn't it? <laughs> so you're saying with virtually any effort, I can, I can get these really you know, good returns, instant diversification, probably beat most of the experts as well. Uh, am I getting a, a, um, a set of steak knives with this as well? Or? We... <laughs> No, although I can, we can talk about it afterwards. There, we, there is a very simple way, a very simple two-stock portfolio that we can recommend to listeners right now to help them get significant long-term wealth. It doesn't require steak knives. It doesn't require you know excess returns. It doesn't require them to know everything about everything. There's a very, very simple way to do it. Now, I reckon, Andrew, you can tell me what those two companies are and why I should buy them. Okay. Well, they're actually technically not companies. There are these relatively new on the financial scene. They're called exchange traded funds and that's oh, usually abbreviated to ETFs. And it, and we love we love funds. acronyms in our industry. What exactly is an exchange traded fund? WTF is an ETF. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, okay, so look, very basically, it's it's an investment bank will go out there and basically buy all of the stocks in the index. So if people watch the news, they'll hear about the All Ordinaries Index, which is a mix of all of the, well, most of the company, the big companies at least, out there on the ASX. And they buy a little bit of every single one. And because they're not trying to, they don't have to hire research analysts, they don't have to do a lot of trading, they're simply following that index. The costs are super, super low, and you are guaranteed to get the average return of the market. Sounds like they're putting us out of work if there's no research analyst. Why is that such a good idea? 
Well, it's a good idea because one, it cuts down on those transaction costs and the cost just in general of running it. And it turns out that that alone is what gives you the, the, a really significant chance of beating all the actively managed funds, uh, which do have to pay a lot of research analysts, which do have to do a lot of trading. And that, all that stuff adds up. And we tend to see the, the numbers are pretty clear in our market, in other markets around the world, that these things tend to outperform the experts and have done so for a long time. Right. So without having to go and buy some, a little bit of everything, someone's packaging that up for me and saying, here's a, a cross section of the ASX, yep. or in a nice little box with a bow on top and saying, here, just buy this, and you'll have access to all of the individual companies on the ASX in their little component parts. So I'm getting a bit of BHP, a bit of National Australia Bank, some Woolies, some Flight Center, some Coke. Bits About 500 odd companies you'll get in the Australian one. Um, and yeah, not only that, it's one trade. There's one set of paperwork. There's one dividend check. So your tax is really easy. Your paperwork's really easy. It's super, super easy. Now there's a few of them out there and these things are gaining popularity and sometimes they can get a little bit esoteric. You can buy an ETF that tracks so oil what? future. A little bit complicated, right, okay. Scott. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep it simple I'm a, I'm for a simple you, mate. man. Sorry, buddy. Help me out, Andrew. Sorry, buddy. Um, uh, but we're talking about the, the really the, the broadest ones. So the ASX uh, one from Vanguard is, is, in our view, one of the best. The code there is VAS. So you type that into Comsec or E-Trade or any of your preferred online brokers, bring it up, buy some of those. Right. Uh, so VAS, the Vanguard Australian Index Fund, gives me a small part of most of the companies on the exchange. Yes. In roughly the same sizes that they are on the market. So yes. I get more BHP and a little bit of something else that's much smaller. Yep. And I get the average return of that market less a little bit in fees. Yeah, that's what, right. What's the catch? Uh, there is no catch. I mean, I, I guess, you know, the, 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 what some people might see as a negative, though, I want to do better than the market, you know, and if you, if you try and do that, maybe you will. But this is basically saying, no, I'm happy with the average. We know that the average is good. I just mentioned before, the average has seen a 28-fold increase in your wealth over the last 30 years. It ain't bad. And it's super easy. There's no stress. You're never going to see it go to zero because you're so well diversified. Um, uh, and, you know, that's unless there's a zombie apocalypse or something <laughs> like that, in which case we're all stuffed anyway. Um, so it, it's just no fuss, great returns, uh, super easy. Right. So basically what you're telling me is I can get almost the market return. Yep. That market return at 10% kind of what has been historically sounds almost a little bit boring. I want more than that, surely. But if I compound that for something like 30 years, I can end up making 28 times my money with a little bit of, you know, a little, little bit for fees. But largely speaking, that, that decent return every year, which sounds unimpressive. Most people want to get 20 or 30%. Sure. But if I can get 10% or so a year, I can get 28 times my money over the, over the course of, of 30 years or so. Mate, you'll double your money every seven years or so. All right. So that's our first tip for, for our listeners is the Vanguard Australian Index Fund, code VAS. Now, Andrew, I know there's a second one here and I've got something of an inside, uh, inside view. Let's look at, let's look at another, another option or maybe, maybe something to add value. So we've got the Australian market covered with VAS, right, the Vanguard right. Australian Index Fund. Yep. But Australia's only 2% of the world's equity markets, I happen to know. I did a mm -hmm. little, little bit of research earlier. This, mm -hmm. is, this show is research, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. I did a little bit of research earlier today. Back I of know the cornflakes that, packet. Is well, that where you read it? It or? didn't take much. The number two was all I needed. The Australian <laughs> okay. market is only 2% of the world's market. Mm -hmm. There's another market out there that's more than half of the world's remaining stock markets. Okay. It's the big daddy of them all. It's the US. Ah, the home of Google and Amazon and IBM and all right. of these Right. Now, ones. You're, taking, you're stealing some of my thunder here, but that's exactly the point. Think about what the Australian market's made up of. It's a great market. It's done fantastically well. Sure it's has. the best country on earth in my, my humble view, mm -hmm. but no it's bias. not the entire world. So if we think about the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, add in maybe uh, a Twitter, maybe add in a Nike or a Reebok, a Walt Disney. Um, plenty of those household names that we all know and love, 
that we deal with every day and some like Judson and Johnson and Procter and Gamble yeah. names that produce the some of the the food and some of the you know laundry products and toilet products that we have in our homes right none of those are listed on the ASX right so I well so I'm going to have to go and open up an international trading account I need to worry about international withholding tax uh, I need to worry about exchange rate fluctuations you're not you're not selling it <laughs> I'm trying, I'm doing my best here but stick with me okay now before we get into that let me let me be very clear Australia's only two percent of the world's markets we absolutely major in mining and financial services those two those two together make up something around two-thirds of our market yeah so very very concentrated on some important and impressive industries right but seriously seriously concentrated on just those two mm -hmm. to get an opportunity to have the rest of the world's great companies mm. including the likes of warren buffett's own berkshire hathaway yep you can go to the us and buy some of those businesses the base the facebook's the google's the berkshire's the general electric's the insert company name here yeah you can have part of all of those businesses but again, like the Australian market, there's an ETF for that, ah. a W2F ETF. And is that traded here? Exactly is. And this is the opportunity Beautiful. for investors. So we've told you, firstly, go out and buy yourself some Vanguard Australian Index Fund, the, the VAS code. Mm -hmm. You can also get exposure to the rest of the world, including the US market, with another single trade. And again, on the ASX here, and it's another Vanguard product. And that code is VGS. This is the Vanguard Index Fund for the rest of the world, except Australia. So you're getting the Australian market with one, and effectively the rest of the developed world with the other. You get access Beautiful. to part ownership in Facebook, Amazon, Google, all those companies we've talked mm. about and more Yep. Just by, just by selecting that one, the VGS, the Vanguard World Index Fund, if you like, as well as the VAS, the Australian Index Fund. With those two trades, you have access to the vast majority of the world's capitalization, the vast majority of the world's best companies, and quite frankly, the vast majority of the ability to earn outsized returns for a very, very, very long time. It gives you geographic diversification. It gives you currency diversification. So you know what? If Australia falls into a funk, you've got access to the rest of the world. If the Australian dollar falls, you've got access to the rest of the world. And frankly, if mining and financial services struggle here, you've got access to technology and consumer products and manufacturing, all the industries we don't have in any significant size in Australia with these two investments. Add the two together, that really gives you a great opportunity to harness the best companies here and around the world for your long-term wealth. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I love it. VGS and VAS. Get on it. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. But Scott, if you're going to be doing this and making all this money, uh, you might have to pay a bit of tax. You I actually so. you, wait, wait. You, you hope so? I I hope to pay a very, 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 very large amount of tax for the rest of my life. In well, fact, I hope it's I hope it's over a million dollars worth of tax paid between now and the time I die. That sounds a little bit dodgy to me. I, I'm not. I'm have to get my head around this. I remember Kerry Packer. He was in a Senate Senate committee hearing back in the uh, '90s, and he was asked whether he was avoiding tax. And he's in a famously combative style. He answered, and you got to try to imagine his voice here. Now, I am not evading tax in any way, shape, or form. Now, of course, I am minimising my tax. And if anybody in this country doesn't minimise their tax, they want their heads red because I can tell you, as a government, you're not spending it that well that we should be donating extra. Love it, but you want to donate extra. I don't necessarily want to donate extra. I, I, I there's a, I have some sort of uh, spiritual alignment with Kerry Packer's view that I don't know that any of our governments of either stripe particularly spend it as well as we'd all like. But again, maybe we're just uh, all armchair experts. But no, I don't want to donate extra. What I want to do is be forced to pay extra. Okay. When people invest their money, and whether that's shares, whether that's property, whether that's anything else they're doing, most people ask the first question of their, of their, of their accountant or their financial planner, and they say, "How can I pay less tax?" Right. And that's entirely the wrong question to ask. Oh. The question is, how can I have as much as possible after all that tax that I've paid? Okay. I can offer you two options, Andrew. I can say to you, I can halve your tax bill 
or you can earn twice as much after tax. Which would you prefer? Uh, I'll take the twice as much, thanks. Exactly. And that's the point, right? So you can do a whole lot of stuff to, to reduce tax. Yep. And that's great. And you and should. You should pay as little tax as you can, you can legally get away with. Yep. Of course you should. But that's not the right question to ask. Mm. You don't make money. You don't make squillions of dollars by paying as little tax as you can mm. in and of itself. Mm. You make as much money as you can by investing in the best returns you can possibly get. If I've got to pay a million dollars worth of tax between now and when I fall off the perch, I'm going to have to have earned a very, very, very large right. amount of money on the way. Better than earning no money and paying no tax along the exactly way. Exactly right? right. And so when you walk into your accountant, if you're asking your accountant, save tax for me, how can I pay less tax? I'm sick of the ATO. I want to pay less tax. You are asking your accountant the wrong question. At The Motley Fool, we're here to tell it to you straight. And quite frankly, if you've asked that before, fair enough, we all have, stop it. Next time you go to your accountant or your financial planner, ask them instead, how can I maximize my after-tax returns? How can I build the best possible after-tax wealth for me and my family well into the future? That's the question I ask. That's the, the approach I take. I hope I pay a lot of tax because that's going to mean I've made a lot of money, even more money, hopefully three or four times what I pay in tax over my lifetime. If I'm going to pay a million bucks in tax, hopefully my investing and saving has earned me two or three or four million dollars worth of total returns. I'll tell you what, I'd rather have that extra two or three million dollars left over after I paid the million bucks in tax rather than try and save tax and end up with half a million or a million dollars in the back pocket. Now, those are lofty numbers. Compounding will do the return. As you've already said, Andrew, if I can make in 30 years a million bucks starting with 40 grand, if I start with 80 grand or 160 grand, I'm going to make two or four million dollars. Plus, so if you dribble some more in along the way. That compound, that compound interest, that compound return we make mm. is exactly what it's all about. If I can do that, and I can end up with a four million dollar share portfolio, if I've got to pay mm. a million bucks to the tax man or my kids have to do when I when I fall off the perch, mm. I'll happily take that problem. It's a wonderful problem to have because it's going to mean I'm very, very comfortable into my retirement. All right, mate, you've convinced me. And listen, that seems like a pretty good place to end. We'll wrap things up right here for Motley Fool Money. Uh, remember, listeners, we'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight and hopefully a laugh or two. But until then, fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.